Um, I enjoyed Lisa's testimony and enjoyed, enjoyed all the testimonies. I encourage you to be a part of that. Um, David is here to, to uh, film you um, for that, or if you just want to do it from home and send it in, uh, that, that's okay. We, I think it's just important to hear people's walk with Christ. And guys, we want to get this out, obviously, outside of our church. But you know what? It's also an encouragement inside of our church. I need to hear what Jesus is doing in you. And you need to hear what Jesus is doing in me. And it is an encouragement to the body of Christ, as well as an opportunity for Christ's message to go forward. So just encourage you to pray about being a part of that. Uh, I am preaching, continuing on in a series on the prophet Elisha, <laughs> who God used to do what we would consider to be a series of impossibilities. Of course, although not all things are possible with us, all things are possible with God. And so I encourage you to turn with me. We're going to, I'm only going to read one verse, but we're going to look at a section of Scripture in 2 Kings chapter 6 and 7, uh, starting at chapter 6, verse 24 through 720, and I'm just going to read a single verse. And this section of Scripture, it's actually pretty dark, a lot of it, uh, as we look at the Scripture. But the importance that we want to look at in the message is the sound of silence. That in the midst of a world that is hurting and that is broken because of sin, people need hope. And they need to know that God loves them and cares for them. And, and that's really the basis of what we're going to look at this morning as we look in the message. But turn to me, 2 Kings chapter 7. And uh, the verse I want to focus upon, just a single verse, if you'll stand in God's honor, pay him tribute as I read. Uh, verse 9, 2 Kings 7, 9. Then they said to each other, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. Let's pray. Master, the world needs Jesus. <laughs> and Father, you have chosen to work through weak vessels. And it is not about the strength of the messenger. It is about the life-changing power of the message. And so, Father, you are more than capable of working through weak ones. So thank you that we are all part of that. And so, Lord, I just pray that you remind us that we do have a task. And it is to let a broken world know that there is a mender of broken lives, Jesus Christ. And Father, may as we look at the accounts in this ministry of the prophet Elisha, may we be reminded as well, Lord, that no matter how broken we may feel, Father, you love us and you have healing in mind. And so, Father, uh, just continue to work through the rest of this worship service. And what we long for is worship. We long to see Christ. We long for you to show up, Lord. And 
So, Father, may you have the freedom by your Spirit to do just that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. William Meyer, uh, a number of years ago, wrote a book called The Image Makers, and one of the focuses in the book was on the Cola Wars. Nearly a billion dollars spent every year on the Cola Wars in commercials and getting the message out that our flavored water is better than any other flavored water. In the 70s, there was a commercial uh, in the title of it, just a 30-second clip that was titled Marry Me Sue. It was in the Midwest. Uh, the focus, it was a hot day, and people were slurping down Pepsis, and you could see the Pepsi on the bottles. And there was a couple who were shyly looking at each other, and you could tell there was some interest going on in that guy and gal. And then there was some sky riding above in the sky, and as they would kind of slyly look at one another, across the sky were the words, Marry me, Sue. And there was a gasp. And she nodded her head. And there was a crescendo of music. This was Pepsi. Well, Coca-Cola, in the meantime, had been aware of this for six months. And so they had been working on their own commercial. Uh, they needed something even sappier in order to show that they were the best drink. And so they came up with a classic commercial. I'm probably telling my age here some that, you know, is a part of uh, uh, commercial lore to me. Uh, it's this little boy, and he comes up to Mean Joe Green, who is ravenous with thirst, and he hands Mean Joe a drink of Coke. And as Mean Joe, he swigs down that Coca-Cola, and then he yells at the kid, Hey, kid! The kid turns around and throws him his jersey. Man, I, I remember that. Hey, between these two colas, nearly a billion dollars spent on convincing us which is the best flavored cola. What does Christ mean to us? What does Christ mean to you? You know, sometimes we often act like Jesus is just something you need to do in order to escape the fires of hell. And so, you know, if you just make this commitment to Christ, you don't have to worry about it anymore. You can just kind of put it out of your mind. That's done for. That's taken care of as if it is an event that all it takes is that one-time decision. But the truth of the matter is when Jesus Christ gets a hold of our lives, we understand that He is more than a decision. He is life. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. He is the one who ministers to us. He is the one that gives us hope in this broken world. You know, guys, I um, through the years, I don't know if it's just me getting older or me getting sappier, but I, I can sense myself getting more emotional as the years go by. And I sense myself, uh, you know, really caring about people. I mean, I, I love you guys. And I'm not just kind of saying that. I mean, you guys really mean mean a lot to me. And, uh, you know, one thing I have found as a pastor, too, nobody seems to listen anymore. We're all going 100 miles an hour. And if somebody would just stop and listen, man, people will start talking. And, you know, it's amazing the things that I hear 
not just people in the church here, but just because just I text a few men is, how are you doing? And next thing you know, man, this crazy stuff is coming out and people are, are telling me all this stuff. And um, what's it tell me? It tells me people are broken and people need to know that there is some hope out there. There is something to live for. But you know, what discourages me at times is I often find myself in that situation, but ashamedly, there are times where I don't, I don't run to the answer in my conversation. Jesus Christ. Because the truth of the matter is, they need to hear about Christ. They need to know that the God, the one who made everything, loves them with such a deep love that he wants to carry them and walk with them through this life with the assurance that after this life, there is a life with him forever. Man, people need to know that. And we're going to look this morning at Elisha, and we're going to look at some different scenes, uh, three different scenes as we go through this text. And I'm going to read part of it. And like I said, some of this stuff is pretty dark. But it just reminded me, man, everybody's dealing with something. So first scene here, look at our text here. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24. It says, sometime later, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mobilized his entire army and marched up and laid siege to Samaria. Now, it's interesting, in, in verse 23, the last time that I preached on this, it, wow, man, what an awesome sections of Scripture where this army is coming against God's people. Huh. This servant is scared. He's trembling. He's thinking, this army is so vast that we're, we're goners. You know, there is no way we'll survive this. And then Elisha prays and says, Lord, open his eyes so he can see. And the Lord opened his eyes, and he saw this angelic army. God was there. Just powerful, man. And, and so it said that at that moment, these raids stopped from the enemy. They understood that the presence and the power of God was there. But some time has elapsed when we come to this verse, and evidently, this wasn't just raids. Evidently, now there was an all-out assault upon God's people. And you know, it reminds me just how quickly we forget the power and the presence of God. I, you know, I, I remember um, all the way back in uh, um, 2001, the travesty. Remember in New York City, and people's hearts were turning, and, and, and people would kind of talk about God, and churches, more people showing up at church, and, and then, you know, they just kind of faded away. And that tends to be what happens over and over again. And so I think this is just an evidence of what happened in, in this case. Some time elapsed and they forgot about what happened. That they had experienced God and His presence and His power. And now they've attacked. And boy, the darkness that transcends over that. Look at verses 26 and 27. Um, I won't read a whole lot of this stuff because it's really depressing to be honest with you um 
it says, well, verse 25, it says, There was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver and a quarter of a tab of seed pods for five shekels. In other words, they were starving to death. There was no food, and so therefore there was an absence of hope. People were suffering. People were struggling. The scripture goes on, verse 26, 27, it says, As the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried to him, Help me, my lord, the king. The king replied, If the Lord does not help you, where can I help you? From the threshing floor? From the wine press? Verses 28 and 29. Then he asked her, What's the matter? She answered, The woman said to me, Give up your son so we may eat him today, and tomorrow we'll eat my son. So he cooked my son and ate him. The next day I said to her, Give up your son so we may eat him. But she had hidden him. This is the desperation. And when God is absent, life is cheap. We look at the issue today of abortion on demand. And and I'll be honest with you, it bothers me greatly that we have a governor in Virginia who is a pediatrician that believes in infanticide, which is abortion after the baby's delivered. Life is precious. We are all made in the image of God. It doesn't matter how weak we are. It doesn't matter how limited a person may be. That person is precious to God. And we are called as people of God to stand up for people because life is precious. And this is an instance here where life had become cheap as there was despair and God was not in the view. We go on in our text here, verse 30. It says, when the king heard the woman's words, he tore his robes. As he went along the wall, the people looked, and they saw that under his robes he had sackcloth on his body. Now, it's interesting here, as we look at this section of Scripture, it's tied together by people who are keeping secrets. They're, they're not being honest and public with their faith. And guys, we desperately need that today. I think of a verse, it's Proverbs 28, verse 1. It says, the wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. May God give us boldness. Man, I am not talking about being obnoxious, but I'm talking about being bold for Christ. Letting people know that you love the Lord. And when people don't respond to that, being nice, I'm not talking about yelling back at them, calling them a jerk or whatever, but also just saying clearly, if it wasn't for God and his kindness, I would have nothing. If it wasn't for him sending his son Jesus Christ to die for me, I would be without hope because I'm going to die and so are you. And unless we have the hope of Jesus Christ, guys, then we're in deep, deep trouble. We're headed toward a cliff and we're going to go off that cliff and look out for the sudden impact judgment of God and and so that is just so critical and, and, and so we got a king he, he's keeping secrets you know it's like the guy the pastor said to me the only time I ever see you is on Easter and Christmas Talk, you know as Vance happened you say he's one of these holly lily Christians you know and he said um how come I only see you then he said I'm in the Christian secret service look there is no room for the Christian secret service people need to see Christ 
people are starved to see genuine believers and followers, disciples of Christ. He doesn't want us to play church. He wants us to be the church. He desperately wants us to live for him. You know what the best witness is? One that lives for Christ, one who loves Christ. If you spend time with God and you pray for people and you let him change you before you know it, he matters more to you and you find yourself talking about Jesus. He works in that fashion and he works in that matter. Um, verse 31, he said, May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if the head of Elisha, son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. You know what? They found this king, his robes, kingly robes, you know, they, they opened up and revealed underneath are these sackcloth, the sackcloth, which is, you know, he's been praying. He's been seeking God, but he doesn't want anybody else to know. Makes me wonder what he was really praying. Was he praying something like, well, God, you know I'm a good king, and God, I want you to spare me, and God, I want you to do great things here so I can continue to be king, and, and God, I just want you to make me a great king, but I don't think he was praying, God, I want you to be glorified. I want people to see you in my life and in this land, and I want you to take over, Lord. Uh, you know, as Tony Evans, you say, God didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. And, and there's a need for that, that God is glorified, that God is seen. All right, second scene here I'm going to look at, blaming of the innocent. <laughs> Notice they're headed to Elisha's home, it tells us in this text. But Elisha's not worried about it. He's in communion with God, and he even knows that he is on the way. Uh, chapter 7, verse 1, we see the response of Elisha. Elisha replied, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a say of the finest flour will sell for a shekel and two sayers of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Startling news to the messenger that came to Elisha. And, you know, at this point, he's being like any normal, rational guy. You know, uh, Elisha, we're going through a famine. There's no food anywhere. I don't expect there to be this amazing flower just show up uh where are you living you know don't you believe in science that kind of thing uh well verse two the officer on whose arm the king was leaning said to the man of god look even if the lord should open the floodgates of the heavens could this happen and elisha said you'll see it with your own eyes but you will not eat any of it Man, he didn't believe. And, and, you know, I worry. This is me, man. I'm trying to be confessional. I'm not just trying to be, I'm the preacher and you're the people and you listen to the preacher. I want to see God move. But then I ask myself sometimes, do I want to see God move? You know, it's so easy to put restrictions on God. God, I want you to show up, but you need to do it this way. And I want you to do it at this time. And I want you to do it in this way. Look, God is not there to take orders from me. Or from you. May God just show up. A number of years ago, uh, a guy from my home church was part of a revival in Brownsville, Texas. A number of the churches, uh, there was revival. And, and before you know it, he's speaking at different churches. But it was so funny. Uh, a friend of mine asked him, he said, Well, John, uh, tell me about this revival. What happened? He said, Well, 
He said, I got up that morning, went to church, did what I always do, got up to preach, and God showed up. He said, I don't know what else to tell you. And that happened not just in that church, it happened in a number of churches in Brownsville, Texas that same Sunday. God simply showed up. And man, may that be our prayer. God, I want you to show up. And God, I want you to work in spite of me. All these restrictions I put on you and all these limitations that, that I give to you. Lord, help me to see that you are not bound by any of that. So Lord, show up. Uh, number three, the third scene. The message of the outcast. It's interesting here that God would work through some lepers. As you know, the lepers were the outcasts. They did not have influence. They were not seen as prestigious people, but rather they were people who were avoided at all costs. So I'm going to just read verses 3 through 8 of chapter 7. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, Why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. You get the picture, right? <laughs> uh, at dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, not a man was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp and entered one of the tents. They ate and drank and carried away silver, gold, and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. <laughs> Could you imagine... Here are these guys, they're not allowed in the city. They, they're actually outside the city gates normally because they're lepers. Matter of fact, tradition by some Jewish rabbis was that these lepers were actually Gehazi. Remember the serpent, the ser servant, not serpent, the servant who got leprosy? Tradition is that it was Gehazi and his sons were these lepers. I don't, I, you know, I don't know that for sure, but the fact of the matter is, these lepers who are used to not having anything, and they're desperate, they go to the enemy city, and as they're walking along, they're like, wow, what's happened here? And they enter the city, and these guys that are used to having nothing, there's like food everywhere. I mean, they went from wanting a cheeseburger, and they couldn't even find a sliced pickle. They had no food anywhere. And suddenly they look around, and there's food and there's money, and the guys are saying, look at his gold. Guys, we struck it rich. Pay dirt. This is awesome. And then there's clothes. Hey, this rope fits me. Look at me in this rope. Don't I look awesome? You know, all this stuff that they weren't used to having. But you know what happened to them? They suddenly felt guilty. They realized that their own people were suffering intensely. They had nothing. And, and thus is verse 9 of our text. And they said to each other, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news. and We're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait, 
until daylight punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once with power. So these outcasts, these people that no one wanted to listen to, they come with a message of great need. Guys, I know where there's food. I know where there's resources. I know where there's supplies. Well, the king's, you know, he's a little leery. So he sends some guys to check it out to see what is going on. And so they arrive, and of course they find the good news as they find all the resources that were so desperately needed. Um, We have a spiritual message, a message that is life. Remember what Jesus said in, in John 14, 6. Most people have been in church any length of time know John 14, 6. He didn't say, I have knowledge of the way. I know something about the truth, and I can point you to life. He didn't say, I've heard about the way, and I've got some experience with truth. And by the way, there is some life. He didn't say that, did he? He said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Hey, guys, the way, the truth, and the life is not found in a way of thinking. It's not found in actions that we do. The way, the truth, and the life is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And when we confidently place our faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, there's hope and there's life and a relationship with God begins until we're in eternity with the living God who bought it for us. And this message, it's not to be hoarded. It's to be heralded. This message, it's not to be retained. It's to be reflected. This is God's call on us. You know, I thought of other outcasts that are mentioned in Luke chapter 2. Remember, the message came to the shepherds. The shepherds were considered to be unclean because of the type of work that they did. They were not allowed to enter into the temple. And yet, the angels appeared to the shepherds, the ones who were unclean, to give the message that today, (laughs) good news of great joy. There's a Savior, Christ Jesus, the Lord, the King. God uses any messenger who is willing to be changed by the message. It is not about how spiritual I am, how spiritual you are. It is about Jesus who does that work, and he wants to work through us. All right, verse 16 here. Uh, so the people went out, plundered the camp of Arameans. Then, uh, jump down to verse 19 and 20, and you see Elisha had given a warning of judgment to this one who did not believe his word. The officer said to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of the heavens, remember that, could this happen? And the man of God replied, You will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat any of it. And that is exactly what happened to him. For the people trampled him in the gateway, and he died. Look, so often in pulpits, 
we all want to be friends, right? I mean, we don't want to offend each other. And I'm afraid sometimes, though, you know, it used to be when I was a kid, you had those who preached hellfire and damnation, and man, they'd let it fly, you know. And, and now, it's kind of hard a lot of times to go into a church and hear anything about judgment or hell. But the fact of the matter is, there is a reason why Jesus went to the cross. Because we're sinners and we need a Savior. And he came to fulfill that perfect work. And this guy was trampled because he didn't stop and believe. Not just the messenger of the Lord, but the message of the Lord that God is more than able and more than capable of doing what was necessary, what was needed to save the people. And guys, he has done that through the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he, he looked out over Jerusalem and it says that he spoke and said, they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he wept for them. He saw how broken they were and he loved them and he cared for them and he was crushed. And what did he receive? A cross. One of the scriptures that's always amazed me is in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, I think, where it says, Jesus for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Now, we've all heard about the cross. The last word that comes to my mind when I think about the brutality of the cross is joy. Wow, the suffering that Jesus endured through the cross. But it wasn't the cross he was looking forward to. It was what would happen after the cross. Salvation for all of us. Freedom from sin for all of us. Eternity with a living God for all of us. And you start now while we're still here for all of us who believe in Jesus Christ and trust Him. Now let me close this thing up with uh, two points of application here. Uh, first, if the church is to communicate the message to his generation, it must first uh, repent. Why are we here? I know we're to love each other. I get that. But there's a reason why we're able to love each other because he first loved us. First John 5 and 19, it says, we love because he first loved us. To understand true love, you have to understand who loved us first, Christ. The message of Christ is to be central to a church. If you take the message of Christ out, we're no more than a social club. What makes us different is the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying we don't meet social needs. Of course, we've got to help people who are hurting. But if we do not share the message of salvation, we're not helping the whole person. We're just meeting a temporary need. We're not meeting the deepest need of their soul. A Savior, Christ. Second point, um, the church is to communicate the message. We've got to get our focus back. I mean, when we're here and we meet together, God forbid that we never mention the cross. I love what Spurgeon used to say. He said, you know, no matter what my text was, he said, I'd start out on my text and I'd seek to be faithful to my text. But he said, before the end of the message, I'd take a beeline to the cross. And 
comes as a strong man. As much today as it's ever been. That focus. We as people of God must take a focus from God. Uh, maybe you guys have heard this parable. I've used it many times, but boy, it's a conviction. Brings conviction. Listen, I, I'm just going to read it so you guys will listen to me. Now, it came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen. And lo, there were many fish in waters all around. Streams and lakes were filled with fish, and they were all very hungry. Week after week, month after month, year after year, people who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about their call to fish, the abundance of fish and how they really should go fishing. They built large buildings for local fishing headquarters, issued pleas on a regular basis for more fishermen. But they didn't fish. They organized a board to send out fishermen to other places where there were many fish. Their great vision and courage to speak out about fishing was seen in their promotion brochures and spirited rallies to wish their fishermen well. But the staff and committee members just never got around to fishing. Large, elaborate training centers were built to teach fishermen how to fish. Persons with doctorates in fishology were hired to do the teaching. But all they did was teach fishing. They did not fish. After one stirring meeting on the necessity of fishing, one young fellow left the meeting and went fishing. He caught two outstanding fish. He was honored for his excellent catch and scheduled to visit all the big meetings to tell about his experience. So he quit fishing to travel about telling his story to people who claimed to be fishermen even if they never found time to fish. And Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, women, boys, and girls. So we asked ourselves, am I a fisherman? Let me close uh, with this poem from an anonymous poet. When I enter that beautiful city and the saints in glory draw near, I want someone to greet me and tell me it was you who invited me here. Let's pray. God, the message of Christ is the only hope in a broken world. So why are we hesitant to share? God, I, I pray that you move in my heart and in the heart of um, my brothers and sisters here and listening Father, to just reassess, Lord, what matters, God. May the message be upon our hearts and our lips. And, Father, may we remember that if not for the cross and your work there, we would be without hope. And for the broken and those who are hurting, Father, may we have the compassion of Christ. And may you be honored through it all, Lord. Um, in this time that remains with an altar open and a chance to respond to your spirit, may we simply agree with what you ask of us. Um, Father, I, I pray that you move us. Uh, Lord, we need you. Uh, as it says in the scripture, sirs, we would see Jesus. And so, Master, we want you. So move among us in this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.